So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, please turn to John chapter 1. Today we're going to be in verses 1 through 5. And please stand as we give attention to God's Word. God's Word. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. The Word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this Word. Lord, it's a Word that we are familiar with. It's a Word that every child in here could, could, could grasp and understand, and yet the depths of this verse, these verses would confine and confound the, the brightest minds for eternity. Lord, I pray that we would have eyes to see this morning, that each one of us would behold the incarnate Christ, the light of the world, the word of life. So, Lord, what we have not, will you please give us? We are not, will you please make us? And what we know not, will you please teach us? Through the power of your Holy Spirit, in your name we pray, amen. Guys, go ahead and have a seat. <clears throat> One thing about singing before preaching is sometimes you sing and you don't have your voice left because you're singing so loud and that might happen today. So pray for me as we get in here. But I want to first ask a question. See a raise of hands. Who in here has gone splunking? Raise your hand. Splunking. Raise them high. All right. We got a handful of people. Who in here has no idea what splunking is? Go ahead and raise your hand. All right. Good. Splunking is the exploration of caves. That's what splunking is. The exploration of caves. And, and we had a guy that first started off uh, with us and helped us plant the crossing named Max Jackal. And, and part of Mac, he grew up in South Dakota, up in Custer. And he worked at uh, uh, a national park, Wind Cave National Park. And one of the very first things we did in the, in, uh, in the Crossings Life Group in 2010 is we went up to South Dakota, we went to Wind Cave. And we went splunking. Now there were two options. There were two options. One was a mile long hike in the cave and it was lit up, but it was still kind of, kind of crazy because you were 13 stories down under the earth. Uh, it was lit up. Or the other one is you could kind of go a little bit more, uh, a little more crazy, a little bit more intense where you actually, actually had to squeeze through some areas. And uh, so those are the two options. I had my family, so I chose the first option, right? I didn't want to leave any of my kids behind out in the cave somewhere and lose them. Not really. The problem was I'm, uh, I'm not built like a fungo and I don't squeeze very easy, if you know what I'm saying. And I didn't want to get stuck. So, but we went there. And one of the things when we were down walking, it was lighted path, 13 stories underground. We came to this place and everyone sat down and then they turned the lights off. And it was utter darkness. I've never been in darkness like that. I mean, literally, I could not see my hand this close to my face at all, ever. My eyes never transitioned to be able to see that. It was utter darkness. And it was cool at first. 
And then all of a sudden, after like five minutes, started to get a little nervous. Like, are the lights going to come back on? You know, started to get a little anxious in the heart. Like, what is what is going on? You could feel the darkness like invading your soul. And then all of a sudden, the leader flicked on a little lit a little candle. And the whole, you know, this whole room just opened up from this little candle, this light that shone in the darkness. And that's a good illustration. It's a good reminder for us this morning that if Jesus Christ didn't come 2000 plus years ago as a baby in a manger, his first advent, his first coming, if he did not come, our souls would be in that utter darkness still unable to see without any hope but the good news is Jesus did come Jesus did come the light has penetrated the darkness and because of Jesus he has illuminated our hearts this morning so we can sing we can worship the light of the world with fullness of joy and anticipation for this Advent season amen And so let's take a look at John, John chapter one. And the first thing we see in John chapter one, verses one through two, is we see the word shines from the beginning. The word shines from the beginning. Look at verse one. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, these 24 words are simple, yet the most profound sentence ever written in human history. Again, simple yet the most profound words written. John begins in the deep end. I mean, he he just jumps right in. This is what I love about John. John is actually my favorite author in all the Bible. He just jumps right in to the deep end of the pool. In his opening to his gospel, Matthew and Luke both start out with genealogies with Jesus. They, They both begin. Matthew begins tracing Jesus' life all the way back to Abraham in time, in creation, And then Luke, which we covered because we're going through the Gospel of Luke, he traces it back a little bit further to Adam in time, in creation. Where does John trace Jesus back to? He chases, uh, brings him back to God. He traces him back to eternity before creation. This is a massive sentence full of weight. And so when you hear the word or the phrase, These three words, in the beginning. What do you immediately think of? What do you immediately think of when you hear the word in the beginning? Think of Genesis chapter one, right? It takes you back to Genesis chapter one in the beginning. And the Jewish person hearing this would say, God created the heavens and the earth. And John is being very deliberate with his language. And he's starting out with these these words for a very specific purpose because he wants to connect the dots for the Jewish people that are listening to him and that are going to read this letter. But also he wants to connect the dots to the Greco Roman Empire that is reading this. In other words, John wants to tell the world who Jesus is. And this is what we're going to spend the next three weeks over. The, the next 18 verses are addressing this. Who is, what is the word? Again, but first, John wants to talk to the Jews specifically. In the beginning was the word. The Jews would have heard this and they would have finished it again. Not was the word, but in the beginning, God created. And so what God is doing is that um, what John is doing, again, being very deliberate. He wants his people, his Jewish people to think about God 
And just as God spoke before the chaos and created and formed this world, John is saying there's a new creation that is starting to dawn. And this word is bringing in that new creation. The new creation is a spiritual creation that is now dawning. And like the first creation, the second one is not carried out by some subordinate being, but it's brought about by very God Himself. The eternal Word. Again, John wants to connect the dots to the eternal Word to God. So who is the Word? He tells us in verse 14. Look at verse 14. John answers that question. And the Word became flesh and dwelt, literally tabernacled among us. And we have seen His glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Look at verse 17. And grace and truth came through who? Jesus Christ. So who is this Word? In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was Jesus. That would have been mind-blowing to the Jewish audience hearing that. It would have been a massive statement. It would have changed the trajectory of who they thought they were about to encounter. But then, it doesn't stop there. John also has the, the Greco-Romans, the Gentiles involved, those that are around them that aren't Jewish. Because the dominant philosophy of the Greco-Roman Empire at this time is when they looked at the world, they also saw order and creation. And so they thought, man, there's a designer behind this order and creation. But it wasn't a person, it wasn't a God, it was this, this force, this kind of first principle they called it. It was an impersonable ordering force, which they called the Word. The Logos. So you see how masterful the Holy Spirit is with John in this opening sentence, how he captures the, everyone that he's talking to, Jew and Gentile, with this statement. In the beginning was the Logos, the Word. And John is saying to both Jews and Gentile and to us this morning, that Word is Jesus. He is the one that was in the beginning with God. He is the one that created in the beginning was the Word. And then look at the next part, next clauses. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, when you read that verse, you should say, immediately to yourself, say what, John? Right? Say, say, say come again? <laughs> in the negative way, how can someone be with something and at the same time be that something, right? That doesn't make sense. Like if I go out on a date with my wife, I'm with my wife, Rita, but I'm not Rita, Right? One, that would be a little bit weird, right? I mean, a little bit awkward. But two, it's just not physically possible in our world. The positive way we might say it like this, one says it like this, in Jesus there is a withness, a withness, and a wasness. There's a withness, Jesus with God, the word with God, and a wasness, and the word was God. Well, let's break these down. And the word was with God, a withness. What does that mean? It means that these two beings are distinct. The Word and God are distinct, yet this word with has the idea of face-to-face, -face, a personal, intimate relationship. It has the idea of drawing towards something. So you have the Father and the Word drawing towards one another face-to-face. -face. This is one of the most intimate ways that you could say of, of, and talk about their relationship. But then it goes... But the Word was God. So not only was He with Him, but He was Him. And we know that in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it says this, that Jesus was the radiance 
of God's glory. The exact representation of God's nature. Jesus was God. In John chapter 8, Jesus told the Pharisees, before Abraham was, Jesus used the name of God for Himself. I am. I am the pre-existent eternal one. And the Jews knew exactly what He was saying because you know what they did? They started to pick up stones to what? Stone Him to kill Him. Because if you claim to be God, that's what happened to you. So we hear this idea that this Word was not only with God, but He was God. So John is introducing and proclaiming the great doctrine to us known as the Trinity. Uh, This is one of the doctrines that separates Christianity from all other religions. In fact, it is the doctrine that separates Christianity from all other religions. All other false religions, false thoughts of views out there, cults are cults. They're false because they misrepresent the Trinity. They get the Trinity wrong. So one thing that we don't want to do is get the Trinity wrong. So let me give you guys a definition. I'm going to read it because it's very crafted out. What the Trinity is. What God is, comp- what, what, what God is claiming here in verse 1. Here's the definition of the Trinity. Within the one being that is God, the one being that is God, there exists eternally, very important word, there exists eternally three co-equal and co-eternal persons. Namely, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the definition of the Trinity. Within the one being that is God, there exists eternally three co-equal and co-eternal persons, namely the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This definition highlights three aspects of our faith and who God is. The first one is that we believe in one God. We are monotheistic. We're not polytheistic. Polytheistic means we believe in many gods. That would be the Mormons. That would be the Hindus. We believe there is one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is what? One. We believe there's one God, but He reveals Himself in three defined, distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This combats the air of modalism. Modalism is this idea that there is one God who plays three roles. He's like an actor who changes out his costume or his roles. One day he's the Father, the next day he's Jesus, the next day he's the Holy Spirit. And it's just one God playing these three roles. That would be like the oneness Pentecostals around us. And then the final is there are three eternally co-equal. The three are eternally co-equal and again co-eternal. And this would go against the air of subordinationism. That Jesus is less than God. Like the, the Jehovah's Witnesses, He is a God. He is not the God. Like the Muslims, He is a prophet, not the prophet. He's not God at all. So the, this is the definition of the Trinity. This is what we believe. This is what we hold to. This is what keeps us on the path of righteousness. Now, I've been wrestling as a Christian with this since I became a Christian in 1990. And I, and I did a deep dive in this because I was like, oh, I want to try and understand this. I can understand this. I can get my mind around this. And after diving into it for years, I don't get it, right? I don't get it. I'm not that smart. All I had was a public school education. I'm not that smart. But guess what? The, the, the smarty pants... Those that are much smarter than me, the great theologians that have been given this great gift of understanding and wisdom, they don't get it either. They don't get it either. So we're all in good company. Now there's things that we can know like we just talked about. 
Those are the things that we know and those are the things that we hang our hats on, but the rest we walk by faith. How can this be? I don't know. Why? Because the arithmetic in heaven doesn't always add up here on earth. It's a different world. We are finite creatures. He is infinite. Like you said, we heard this when we, uh, thousands of times, I mean not thousands of times, but many times here at the crossing, that when we try to comprehend God, it's like us taking a coffee mug to the Pacific Ocean and saying, okay, let's put the whole Pacific Ocean in this coffee mug. It's not going to happen. We'll get a little taste of it, but we're not going to understand the fullness of who God is. Because we're finite creatures. Now, we we try and give illustrations of what the Trinity is, right? Maybe you guys have heard like this. The Trinity is like the three-leaf clover. Who's heard of it that way? It's like a pencil. It's like an egg. The best thing I heard was like, it's, it's, it's like water, right? Water, and I did this in science in high school. Maybe it can take you back to high school. You're in high school. You got this flask. It's got ice. You put it under a burner. It starts, to, it starts to heat up the ice. The ice turns to what? Water. And then what does the water turn to? Steam. So you have one thing that's in three different things, but that still falls short. We can't, we can't, we can't as finite creatures address or assess or put on or define what is infinite. It's tough. And some people, because of the Trinity, they said, I, don't, I won't believe. If I don't understand it, then I'm not going to believe it. And I say, okay, do you have a brain? And they go, yes. I go, does it work? And they go, yes. I said, do you understand how your brain works? And they say, no. But yet you believe in it. In fact, neuroscience say that we understand a very small percentage of our brain and what it does. Very small. And we have more information and know more about Jesus than we do our own brains. So we can believe and we can trust in Jesus. And John opens up by saying the word Jesus shines from the beginning. Secondly, we go to verse three. Second, the word shines in creation. (laughs) This is so good. And what we're doing is we start out with God in the beginning. Then we go down to creation. Then we're going to go down to Jesus as a light in life. It's like this funnel. And this is what he says in verse three. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. And in this sentence, John declares two very important points. Two things that we hang our hat on. One, Jesus was not created. Jesus was not created. He was the creator, not a part of the creation. Some religions, again, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, Islam, believe that he was a created being. He was not God eternal. We believe that he was in the beginning. He was before creation, separate from creation as creator. This is what John is saying explicitly, explicitly and emphatically that everything and anything in the category of all things made, Christ made. He is the creator of those things. Therefore, Christ was not made. Because if he didn't exist, he can't create himself out of non-existence. Everything that was made was made by Jesus. And Jesus could not create himself, which makes Jesus an unmade thing. And the only other unmade thing is God himself. So Jesus is eternal, as is God. I love how one said it. This is so good. I never heard it explained like that. 20 plus years, 
almost 30 years as a Christian, this is never heard it said this way. Jesus, he did not begin when the beginning began. Jesus began the beginning. He did not start when the start started. Jesus started to start. Isn't that good? So good. He did not begin when the beginning began. Jesus began the beginning. So Jesus was not created. He always was. Secondly, this clause states that creation came through Jesus. He is the Creator. He made all things. Not some things. Not most things. He made all things. You know what the word all means in Greek there? It means all. It means each. It means every. It means the whole. It means everything. It means all things. Paul agrees. Turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. Paul agrees with John in this assessment. And this is what Paul says in Colossians 1, verse 16. He says, For by Him, Jesus, all things were created in heaven. So the spiritual realm, Jesus created all things, but also on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. You want to underline that. You want to circle that right there. We're going to come back to that. That's so important. All things were created through Him and for Him. In verse 17, and He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Now, we're saying Jesus created all things. We know that there's a world out there, the secular world, that does not believe this. That does not believe this. And they want nothing to do with Jesus as Creator God. They want nothing to do with a, with a designer of this world, a creator of this world. They hold mainly to evolution. And they say things such as this, there is no such thing as an, an all-intelligent, all-powerful God designer who has created this world. They reject that. They reject that. We say yes and amen to that. They reject that. They say, that's crazy if you think that. They even go so far to insult. They say, like, you're ignorant if you believe that. That's ancient thought. That's ancient wisdom. And then they say, we are so much more intelligent, so much more advanced today. This is what we believe, that we know, this is again, the evolutionists, that we know that there was nothing, and then out of nothing came something. So there was nothing, but then there came something, and that something that came was a non-living something. And so that something that came out of nothing that was non-living went bang. And in this explosion, this non-living something created a living organism. And then that living organism through millions of years got to where we are today. Does that sound more advanced? Does that sound intelligent? think that's lacking. Let me just ask you this question. <clears throat> if evolution, <laughs> ladies, I'm, I'm speaking to you, in particular moms, if evolution is true, why don't you have more than two arms and two hands? Amen. Uh, uh, evolution is true, moms. Why don't you have more than two arms and two hands? Right. Sometimes you got to ask the question, what's not there? A few years ago, uh, the Winster Institute, this is what they have on their, their website, a respected global leader in 
biomedical research. They, a number of years ago, they assembled like 50 mathematicians and biologists to analyze this issue. Can randomness create complex life? Can, some, can nothing create something and create this complex life? And this is what their concluding statement. Based on our understanding of the laws of chemistry and physics and what we know about randomness and mathematical randomness, there is no way that the complexity of life could just come about. The report goes on to say, for randomness to be responsible for life is a mathematical impossibility. Here's the simple truth. The simple truth is Jesus created if there's a design, then there's a designer. Who in here is wearing a watch? Raise your hand if you're wearing a watch. Show me your watch. Watch is pretty complex, right? It, it's pretty complex. So what does a watch tell us? There's a watchmaker. There's someone who designed it. There's someone who crafted it. There's one who thought through it to make it work. So if there's a design, then there's a designer. I've been ordering uh, pants, hunting gear from this new company called Origin. It's an all-American manufacturing company. In fact, I'm wearing the jeans right now. They're pretty good. Check them out if you want. Um, not like check them out now, but like, you know, on the website. Jeez. All right. Didn't expect to go that way, but all right, here we go. All the materials, all the labor is, is created in America, which is good. It's an American company. You want to support America. All right. But on the tag of these pants, in the inside, you know what it says? It says, made in America. That's where they were made. They were made here. Everything in America. Listen, when you walk out those doors and you look at creation, and you see every rock, every tree, every leaf, every mountain, every lake, Every ocean, every fish, every elk, every dog, every cat, every bird, every cloud. See, every person, every heart, every liver, every lungs, every hands, every molecule, and even every angel, if they had a tag on it, it would say, made by Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is saying. That's what John is saying. Jesus is the creator. We are his creation. Paul says that we are created through him and for him. Again, let's go back to that. Let's take that. Again, you are one of those things that God has created. His stamp, his image is on you and on me. And that's why we, if we go at, through this life, our hearts will never be satisfied unless they're in Christ. You were not, I was not created ultimately for this world. You and I were created for something very specific. We were created for Christ. To worship Jesus. Augustine said it this way, You have made for yourself, O Lord. You have made us for yourself, O Lord. And our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. You were created through Jesus 
and ultimately and primarily for Jesus. So let me ask you this question. Are you living for Jesus? Are you living for Jesus or are you living for something else? And what could that be? Could be status, could be money, could be for your child, could be for a job, could be for a promotion. What are you living for? Here might be some symptoms that you are not living for Jesus right now, that I might not be living for Jesus right now. Are you lacking daily joy? Do you lack daily joy in your life? That might be an indicator you're living for something else. Are you not growing consistently into the image of Christ? That could be a symptom of not living for Jesus. Or how about this one? Are you always looking for some new truth? Some new practical application? Some new experience that will put all the pieces of your faith together? If so, then you're probably living for something other than Jesus this morning. Do you guys remember back to Genesis chapter 1? When God created man? There was God, he created, and then he created man on the sixth day, and, and man was just this lump of dust. He gathered some dust, and then he breathed life into it. And you know what the first thing man saw when his eyes were open? He was face to face with God, his creator. And as long as Adam and then Eve kept their eyes focused face to face on God, they lived for God, all was good. But then in Genesis chapter 3, it said this. When Eve, what? Saw that the tree was good. She desired it and she ate. Eve took her focus off of God and on to something else. And when we do that, it's going to lead down to a path that's not the best. So even the things that Eve looked on, the tree of the fruit was good. There's things that we can look to, 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 that God has created for us to enjoy, which is good. But what is ultimate is that we are created for Jesus and we keep that at the forefront. Then all those other things fall into place and we can enjoy them accordingly. Amen? That leads us to our third and final point. Verse 4 and 5. The word shines in the darkness. The word shines in the darkness. Look at verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Again, this has echoes of Genesis chapter 1. Just as God spoke light and life into the dark, Void of pre-creation chaos, so Jesus now brings life and light into the dark world of sin and death. This life that Jesus talks about, in Him was life. The, the word there for life is the word zoe. There's three words for life in the Greek. Zoe, suke, and bios. The word here is zoe. The bios means physical life. And yes, God created us. Jesus created us. He spoke physical life into us. He upholds us physically. He's created a suke, our soul, our spirit. He's created that. But here it's talking zoe. It's talking eternal life. 
spiritual life. The 54 times it's used is talking about spiritual or eternal life. So the life he's talking about here is spiritual life, a life that comes through and from God. Interesting fact. I think it's John. Oh, gosh. John chapter 20, 21, 21, 20. Anyhow, right in there, 2021. Let me look real quick. The same idea of when God breathed life into uh, creation, he breathes life into John chapter 20, uh, verse 22. Jesus is resurrected. He's in the garden. He goes, he, he meets with his disciples. The disciples are there. And it says that Jesus breathed on the disciples. And then in Acts chapter 2, we see the outcome of that. Now, there's some theological decision on what really happened there. Did they really get the Holy Spirit at that time? Or is that just a, something that was prompting to Acts chapter 2, pointing forward to Acts chapter 2, when they fully received the Holy Spirit, and then they went out in power? Just like in Genesis chapter 1, where God breathed into that dust of the earth, there was life. Here, this word Zoe, Jesus breathed into His disciples. The Holy Spirit was breathed into us. There's a new creation that happened in our hearts. We can now see Jesus for who He is. We have spiritual vision that we can now understand. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 3, the veil has been lifted and we can see who He is. This is the kind of life that we can now have. Therefore, the darkness here is not talking about physical darkness, but the darkness of the fallen human heart. That our heart is darkened by sin. It's darkened by unbelief. And man, as we look at our world, we see the result of a dark heart, right? We see what the unregenerate heart, the heart that doesn't see Jesus for who He is, the heart that isn't regenerated, the heart that isn't led, guided, directed by the Holy Spirit, what that produces. Produces injustice, it produces greed, it produces murder, it produces war, it produces hate, it produces lying, it produces uh, cheating, it produces abuse, it produces, produces pride. We see that around us. We also sometimes experience that in our own heart in the battle of our own flesh. The darkness is powerful. It's what we're fighting. The prince of the darkness. It's dangerous. And if it was up to us, we would, to fight it on our own, we'd take the ultimate L. We'd be in trouble. But praise the Lord, the light of the world has visited us. Jesus, the incarnation, His first coming, He came to set us free from the darkness. Jesus brought spiritual life and light to our hearts, which overcomes the darkness. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not, will not, will ever overcome it. Make no mistake, darkness is trying to creep up on you. It's trying to capture you. It's trying to persuade you. It's trying to seize you. It's trying to take possession of you to move you away from the light. Because the light cast out the darkness. But here's the thing. It cannot ultimately win because the light is too strong. Christ is too strong. Remember back when we were in that cave when I was talking about utter darkness and that leader just lit that little piece of string held in some wax and it lit up the whole room. The darkness fled at the light. Because that's what light does. That's what light does. Light defeats and dispels the darkness. 
And here's the thing. We don't have just a little candle. In fact, we have something infinitely more powerful than the sun to light up our lives. We have very God who dwells with us and who is our light. He is the life and the light of the world. Are you walking through the valley of the shadow of death right now? Are you walking in darkness? Does it seem like the darkness has taken over your heart a little bit? Are you feeling overcome by the darkness of depression maybe? Overcome by the darkness of maybe sexual sin? Some other kind of addiction? Alcohol, drugs? How about the darkness of guilt? Condemnation? How about the darkness of a loveless marriage? Strained friendships? How about the darkness of self-pity? Why are all these good things happening to other people but not me? Do you, you feel the darkness creeping in? Then this verse, the reason for the incarnation, is for you, for me, specifically this morning. And this is what he has to say. It's good news. This darkness you're feeling that seems to be suffocating you right now, this darkness will not, cannot overcome you or conquer you because the light has shone in this world and the darkness cannot overcome the light. The light overcomes the darkness. Again, John 8, 12. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life. You fight darkness with light. You fight darkness with Jesus. His life, His death, His resurrection, His Word. So if you're battling darkness right now, cling to Jesus because He's your only hope. He's my only hope. Cling to the promises in His Word. Pray to Jesus. Confess your sin. Pick up His Word and meditate on it. The Word of God, as you guys remember in Ephesians chapter 6, in the spiritual battle against the darkness, the Word is what? The sword of the Spirit. Pick it up. Wield it. Get into community. Get others around you that will encourage you, that will hold your arms up when you're struggling. Because guaranteed, everyone in here will struggle. Guaranteed, everyone needs Jesus first and foremost. And secondly, we need one another. This is how we fight the darkness. With the light. This is the promise of the first advent. That Christ is God, is man. That Christ is creator. And that Christ is the giver of life. And ultimately that Christ is the light that overcomes the darkness. So that's what we're celebrating this first Advent. That's what we're going to unpack the next several weeks. But also this. We have the promise of Christ. The light of the world that overcomes the darkness in our lives now. But we're going to be constantly battling the darkness daily 
in our own lives, in the world around us. There's a constant battle which does something for us. It has us long for Christ's second coming. His second coming. Because what's going to happen at His second coming? When Christ comes back, He's going to come back as the reigning King. And He's going to expel the darkness once and for all. And we're going to experience the light face to face. No veil. In His dimension. And we're going to be able to come with an answer to the Trinity at that point. The glory of God and the incarnation of Jesus. So we pray with John in Revelation, come Lord Jesus, come. But until then, let us fight the darkness with the light and let us worship with joy and anticipation this Christmas season. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for the truth of this scripture. It is simple enough for us to understand it, but again, so weighty, so meaty, so deep that we can wade in these truths for the rest of our lives. And I pray that that is the fact, that we do wade in these truths. We thank You that You have revealed Yourself, Jesus, as fully God and fully man. We thank You that You have revealed Yourself as our Creator. And we thank You that You have given us spiritual life and light so that we may enjoy this world together with fullness of joy. In Your name we pray. Amen.